We are Emily and Blair and welcome to Elevating Business, the podcast which focuses in on all things around starting a business online, growing that business and doing so in a way that is healthy and enjoyable to you, the business owner. Before we dive in, be sure to visit our website at emilyandblair.com, which you can use to work your way through starting a business online, step by step, and it's completely free. Hi, and welcome to episode 72. I'm going to be talking about what you need to know when you're importing product, and Emily's going to talk about the pros and cons of working with your other half. So this one, we want to just talk about the actual process of importing product from overseas. Because if you're going to import products, say, into the USA from, say, China, as an example, and we'll use that as the example for this podcast, you know, there's a few things you need to know and understand. And it's, it can be quite technical and you really don't want to mess it up given the uh, quantity of product and value of product you're likely to be actually bringing into the country. So there's two main methods of getting product into the country and that's via the sea um, or via air freight. So normally for air freight, the supplier in China will quote their product supplied including the air freight price into the USA. So that's quite simple. They kind of deal with it. However, when it's sea ship, then the shipping needs to often be organized by you. Okay, so what we're going to do is go through sea shipping side of it in this one, and we'll just go through some points which you just need to be aware of. So the key thing when you're negotiating with your supplier or your manufacturer in China, you need to agree with them when you sign up, basically, on the INCO terms for the shipment, okay? So there's 13 INCO terms, and basically what they mean is they define the different stages of the freighting process where the cost and responsibilities start and end for the different parties, okay? So what I mean by that is... An example is FOB, which is one of those INCO terms, so one of the 13, which means free on board. So basically this means that the supplier is responsible for the goods up to the time they are loaded onto the ship at the port of export, so in China. So that's the local port for that supplier. So they pay for the trucking, the insurance, the clearances up to that point. From that point, once the goods are on that ship, the responsibilities are then yours to take over. So that basically these 13 INCO terms are, I guess, allocated at different stages over that entire process. So you can actually get them to take that responsibility right through into the US if you want to. But obviously the cost goes up because they're having to deal with the costs further down the supply chain. So the INCO terms delineate the different stages of that um, process. So it's important to know what those terms are when you're negotiating with your supplier. So then you know that w- who's covering what and what responsibilities lie with who. Okay, so one of the key things which I'd recommend is that you use a freight forwarder because they know the ins and out of, outs of importing and it actually can be quite complex. So you can either use a local freight forwarder, and there's plenty of those around, or you can use an online service. And one that we'd recommend is a, um, a software called Flexport. Okay, so we'll put the link of, of that in the show notes. Basically, they've got a really good online portal, and you can log into there, create an account, and they will do all the freight forwarding for you. 
Okay, so freight forwarders can um, basically provide the export packing, the insurance, the trucking, um, the ocean and transshipment services. So they can cover it all, but you just need to talk with them and see what services they actually do offer. So sometimes the supplier will quote you the supply of your product to include the freight to the US. But if they do that, you need to be really careful that they've covered all of the necessary costs. Okay, so that's why it's sometimes advisable to only have them cover the costs at their end and then use the freight forwarder to do the rest. And so you're paying for that because you're paying the supplier anyway, even if they bring it into the US. But the freight forwarder will make sure that they're covering all of the bits and pieces. So the freight forwarder, you know, they'll need documents like a commercial invoice from the supplier. They might need a, a certificate of origin plus a number of other um, documents, but they'll let you know what, what they need. And most of these suppliers are very familiar with exporting and they have all of those documents sort of on file. So it's not a biggie to get those from your supplier. So once the goods arrive in the US, they'll need to be cleared by customs, okay? And the, normally the freight forwarder can organize this for you, but if they can't, then you'll need to employ a customs broker to do that clearance. So you need to use these people because basically there's 500 pages of customs and tariff regulations for goods being imported into the USA alone. So it's extremely complex if you're trying to do it yourself and we definitely wouldn't recommend that. So it's very likely that you'll need to pay an import tariff. So they're effectively a fee um, and it, it's dependent on what the product is that you're importing. Basically tariffs are mainly in place to help local USA manufacturers um, and to basically try and make importing costs more on par with what you, what you can source locally. So it's, it's trying to level the playing field. So you might be able to buy product cheaper in China, but once you pay, pay the tariffs on it, when you bring it into the US, that brings the price up and it's, it's to try and bring it on par with local manufacturing. So one of the key things with tariffs is when you, when you go way back into your product research, you really want to check the tariff. If you're going to import it, you want to check the tariff uh, that you're going to pay on that particular goods. Um, you know, when you bring them in, because you might choose a certain niche without knowing the tariffs, and it might be something that's uh, got a really high tariff. So you go and get all this product made, you go to bring it into the US and then find that, oh my God, you've got to pay all this money on top of, of, of the product selection because, um, you know, you didn't, you didn't know about the tariff. So you want to make sure that you're not, you know, getting yourself into a situation where, you know, all of your profit is going to disappear because you've had to pay these huge tariffs. So something really good to do at that product research stage. One other thing is you need to also make sure that all the goods are insured at every point of the journey. So insurance is key because, yep, containers actually do fall off ships. So, you know, if you lose your product, um, you know, or it gets damaged on the way over to the US, uh, you know, you need to have it covered by insurance. Because there's a lot of money, you know, you can put a lot of money, you know, tens of thousands of dollars into product and, you know, to have all of that go to waste because you haven't insured is, is you know, just diabolical really and a really bad way to start your business. Okay, so insurance is key. So make sure the supplier's either done that or the, or the freight forwarder's got that covered.
So once the product's cleared into the US, it'll need a local transporter to basically your warehousing. So whether it's an Amazon warehouse, a fulfillment warehouse, or basically your own storage. So this local transport's usually done by truck or train and is normally included in your overall freight quote. But just ensure that when you're getting that quote, you know what the end destination is that they've actually allowed for because sometimes they won't include that local freight in it and you don't want to be then caught out with more local charges. So one important keynote at the end of this is that Amazon and, and some third-party fulfillment warehouses often have packaging and labelling requirements. So you need to make sure you adhere to those because they won't actually accept the products into the warehouse if they don't meet those requirements. And that's a real pickle to get into because then you have to physically go and take the goods and repackage them or have someone do that for you, which is a huge cost or inconvenience. And that actually includes scheduling of the delivery to the warehouse. So you might need to go onto Amazon and schedule when you can actually have that truck deliver that product in. So there's quite a few technicalities around it. So you need to be really familiar with that process of importing. Okay. Um, so one good thing is like, as I mentioned before, Flexport is a really good provider to set up an account with. They've got a great quoting feature where you, you can basically go through step by step setting up your all the information you need to provide for them and then basically they'll come back with with a quote um, and then all the importing process is done on that um, portal you know and they do it real time so you can literally see a world map of where your product is you know if it's on a boat you know halfway across the ocean you can actually see via their GPS tracking where that boat is um, and how many more days of journey it's got to get to its port and things. So it's really visual um, and all of your documents are, are visual in the um, portal so you can see what ones you need and, and what ones you've uploaded and all the rest of it. So it's, I've used it for a, a long time and certainly is a um, software that I would recommend. I'll put the link in the show notes for you to have a look at. But basically, to conclude, you know, importing, there's a lot of paperwork and, con and confusion. So platforms like Flexport manage this in a systematic and organized way to solve this issue. So definitely recommend um, dealing with guys like that rather than trying to do it on your own. So can I just ask a question? Yeah. Why would you be importing? Is it because products are a lot cheaper than, the, than you'd have available? Or what's yeah, basically the range. Um, so it's range and price. So a lot of manufacturers in the US do, will generally provide a better quality product, but the pricing can be higher. Even if you take into account the importing yeah, fees even, and the yeah. insurance and yeah, okay. even all of those costs. The the you know some of the imported products from China and Vietnam and things in India are a it's lot cheaper. Variety, so even and more variety. Um, you know, and so. Yeah, it, it depends on what your product is and what your niche is and what your brand is, where you're pushing. Are you pushing a high-quality product? And if you are, maybe it is better to source locally. Right. Or if you're choosing something which is, uh, you know, a medium to lower quality, more consumable product, um, you know, maybe it is better to source out of China or, or whatever. But you've got to do your research and, and work through all those costings. That's the key thing. Like people go, oh, I can get the product for this much, but they don't allow for all the importing yeah, and the taxes and all the duties and yeah. stuff. And then all of a sudden they go and do it and they go, oh, hang on a minute, I've got no profit. That's, 
yeah so yeah it's really so it might important have been more better to just actually source it locally. exactly locally. yeah yeah and that's part of your product research you need to kind of do an like almost an a b test on right i can get the product in the us or i can get it in china what are the costs associated with both and what's the end profit yeah. if i do either option and that kind of you know will help lead you to where you're going to source your product from um, but we'll, we'll probably do a bit more of an episode on product sourcing in terms of the differences between importing and local, um, yeah. you know, in an, in an upcoming episode. Okay, great. Yeah, Thank you. Thanks. Right, so I'm moving on to looking at the pros and cons of working with your other half. Um, I decided to do this topic um, because it's something that is new to us and our relationship, and, mm. you know, the, the, it might not suit everybody, but we felt it would really suit us and it's working really well and just wanted to give you some tips and give you a bit of background as, as to how we started started out really so um we spent a lot of our start of our relationship apart i mean i was in the the uk blair was in new zealand so can't really get much further apart and it just didn't work for us being apart we really wanted to be together and um we were both in a position where we were both sort of wanting a career change and wanted to spend more time together, want to spend more time at home. And that's why we've started up this business. And it's actually working really well for us. And it's about listening to each other and being nice to each other and really planning um, your time. And it can have then have a really, really positive impact on your work life, but also on your personal life. We found it um, it's made us our relationship, our personal relationship, uh, and our work relationship much stronger and we have a real trust and appreciation for each other and making our relationship more successful as we go forward so tips then on how to make it work if you do decide to give it a go well we found it really good to really be open to advice really listen to each other and each other's opinions don't ever cut each other off um, because that is when you're likely to start shouting at each other so even if you're disagreeing always listen fully to what the other person is saying and then express your thoughts afterwards to avoid those little little arguments which you know we're not saying never never happens because that wouldn't be normal but to, <laughs> but it's about managing that and you know don't and harboring things if you do have an argument don't harbor it all day you know mm. you you might have a little argument and then it's important which i think we're really good at is then actually you know laughing at, at the end of it and moving on really really quickly which is really really important we've also found that planning is really important because if say i'm doing something or blair's doing something we've found sometimes that if i need blair and but he's busy then that causes a little bit of stress so it's really important to plan your time we always sit down at the beginning of the week we look at the calendar we have a joint calendar to know what each other are doing so we don't overlap anything um, we also plan some time to to meet and chat together and at what we're doing in the week. There might be um, sessions where we need to work together and there might be sessions where we work apart. Mm, yeah, and that's and really important, Those having those sessions where you work together because then you, you, you don't, it, it avoids that conflict. Yeah. You know, you know if Emily wants me for something and, and I'm busy and, and you know and you need to be focused and things yeah. you know and sometimes that won't work so if we have these planned times that's that's when it really works well because it means that we can put aside any other work we can focus on 
the task together and then you know yeah. go and do it whatever we need to do separately yeah and we include each other in everything so if Blair's having to make some decisions about something he won't just make them on his own because that can cause tension you know if you're not being involved he'll always ask my advice he'll always ask me what I think um and vice versa and I think that that's really important you know I really trust and you know value Blair's opinions and he does mine so that is I think that's a one really really good good thing there and we also have a sort of catch up at the end of the week because I think it's important as well not just to plan what you're going to do but then to actually reflect on what you've done mm. uh we found that as a really good sort of end of the week little thing we might have a might have a G&T to <laughs> at the same time and discuss and reflect on the week and that's a nice thing that we enjoy doing so it's about really valuing your personal time and the work time as well and not letting them kind of overlap. Like, so we have an end of the day yeah, where we walk the dog. That's important. And uh, we have time, time at the weekend as well, yeah. which we found really, really important because otherwise you could end up just continually working, 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 and always talking about work. Yeah. Well, at the end of the day, you, you know, if you're working with your partner, you, you're basically with them, you know, for the entire day. And that that's kind of not normal in terms of traditional work environment where, you, you know, you spend more time you know away from your partner with your work colleagues so working with them at home you or in an office but working with your partner you need to be quite specific about those work times versus you know mm. your own personal mm. time and, and having that delineation because otherwise it all blurs and and that's when yeah. that crossover can can happen and, yeah. and, and arguments can occur yeah and i think it's just being mindful of that and being um, you know f quite flexible and um, expecting to compromise on things and yeah. you know and having that sort of respect for each other and I think if you've got a really strong relationship personal relationship and you're thinking of going into business then really do consider it I mean it's really worked for us I think if your personal relationship isn't perhaps so strong and you're thinking of doing it as a way of um reconnecting or trying to make things better in your personal relationship then maybe i'd possibly think about reconsidering that i don't think it's something that is going to make a bad relationship better i think you've got to have mm. a real strong relationship at the start of it yeah, in order to go into into it so that it, so i'd just be really mindful of that and the other thing is that you can do you know if you're not sure about it you could sort of set up a bit of a trial of it you know you don't need to fully jump in and commit you know it's it's better to try and do some maybe set some tasks and and try and work through those and see if it actually works with your partner because you know the last thing you want to do is fully commit and then find that you're arguing all the time and, mm. and it's not going to because then it could affect yeah. your work and your relationship yeah exactly so they're just a few things to consider and just a few tips that we've kind of felt worked and but it's but it's got to fit it's got to fit with you and your yeah, it's got to fit with circumstances you. so yeah and it yeah. doesn't suit everybody yeah <laughs> works well for us we've not wanted to kill each other yet have we no no exactly <laughs> all right guys that's all we've got time for in episode 72 we shall see you in the next one Any links and resources mentioned in this episode can be found in the show notes. And remember that our website is a huge resource of free step-by-step -step guides for starting a business online and working through the journey. If you like what you're hearing, then please subscribe to the podcast and share it with a friend.